y'all. I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 258. And if you're listening to this, I just got back from my cruise, but we're recording it before, so I've got nothing to tell you. (laughs) But um, for Christmas, I had gotten Colby some season tickets to our local University of Southern Mississippi is what it is. But anyway, I'd gotten Colby season tickets to the baseball team. So this weekend was opening weekend, and it was so much fun. Well, we were going to go Friday night to the game, but I ended up getting off work like way, 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 way late. It was like sixth inning, so we were like, let's just go eat because your girl was hangry. <laughs> like, he had a styrofoam cooler in his back seat of his truck, and it almost sent me over the edge because I was so hangry. Oh, with the, with the <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, I was so hungry, my head was hurting. So we were like, let's just go eat. So we went Saturday, and it was so much freaking fun. And then they ha- they played Sunday, but, you know, we got to pack for the cruise, and Kobe's got to get one more round of golf in. <laughs> and, you know, we're recording on Sunday. I was about Sunday. to say, and we have to record. <laughs> yeah, so, well, technically the game's in, like, three hours, so I probably could make it a little late, but you know your girl's got to pack the day before her cruise because uh, I'm a procrastinator. And Colby is stressing that I hadn't started packing so I finally just like got the suitcase out and just put some shit in it because I was like he's stressing me out because he's stressing that I'm not gonna get packed and I'm like I got this yeah I'm good I promise I'm gonna get packed I mean will you be stressed out and mean probably tonight yes was that that last night yes (laughs) (laughs) but really and truly though it was the stressed out and, and mean was because he was stressed out and then his parents came over yesterday for lunch and then we left for the game and that like triggers Jax's separation anxiety so when we got home he had peed all over the floor like it was that and I was wanted to go to bed I didn't want to pack <laughs> I told him I said you gotta let me live man <laughs> I mean has he packed all his stuff mostly but can I name off about eight things that he hasn't packed most definitely yes he packs all his intimates and stuff, and then it's like, you have to pack the all the Wii products. Yes. I will say, Colby is very helpful when it comes to, like, packing and stuff. Like, the last time when we went for that goose hunt, we went to my sister's house. He was off that day and literally packed everything. I just had to put a few things in there that he didn't know to pack, you know? Yeah, See, that's sweet and all, but I have a certain way I like to pack and roll my clothes or do my things. Yeah, Yeah. you got to get past that. Yeah, no. I used to be more like that, but now, if I don't have to do it, thank you. Like, when Colby and I first got together, and he was, like, helping with laundry and stuff, and he was like, do you have a certain way you want your towels folded? And I was like, no, I don't give a fuck. As long as you're doing it and I don't have to, I don't give a fuck. Yeah. Fold them however you want to. You don't ever care about that kind of stuff. But I used to. I used to care about, like, the shit that doesn't matter. But now I'm like, if it's getting done and I don't have to do it, that's one less thing off my list. Do it however you want to do it. No, like, all my shirts have to face a certain way. Carrie's don't care. That's going to be really hard when you start living with somebody. Theirs don't have to face the same way. That's how I look through it. Okay. It stresses me out when I helped you put yourself up. And I'm like, do you not put it all on the same thing? It's just a thing. What I like about, sorry, back to the baseball thing, is that the stadium's big, but I feel like it's college big. So the parking, like, you have to walk a second, but it's like a five-minute walk, you know? Yeah. The bathroom is easily accessible. The concession stand's easily, you know, it's not like going to, like, a football game. Yeah. Or, you know, where it's, like, this huge stadium. And so it's just a little more intimate. I'd like that, you know? And I have so many friends that have tickets, too. So, like, I got to see a bunch of people, you know? Yeah. It was fun. 
I've only been to one baseball game there, and that's when we were in college, and we sat, I don't know if you were there, but uh, we sat, like, on the field, not the field, the, like, hill. Girl, I couldn't get down there if I wanted to right now. In the outfield, you sat? Well, I don't know if they changed it. I'm sure. Like, I mean, it's been, what, 20 years? Yeah, I feel like, because I, I don't know a hill. I mean, there's kind of a hill, but not really, like, behind um, first base dugout. Yeah. Okay, Yes. Did you didn't take chairs? You sat on the ground? Yeah, we just sat on the ground. Oh, that sounds terrible. We were young. God, good knees and backs. <laughs> <I know. laughs> but you know what? Okay, this is so weird in TMI. But sitting on the grass makes my butt itch. Like my actual butt yes, cheeks it does itch. For you, I for sure. cannot do it. It doesn't matter what type of grass. It doesn't, like, I, it makes me itch. Like, it's like, I can't fucking do it. Like my actual cheeks. Like, you know what I mean? Yes. Well, In the your, back of my legs. Your ass is abnormally hot. So I don't know what it has, like some kind of fucking chemical reaction with the damn grass. It, like for real, like the back of my legs and my booty cheeks will be like itching. I'm sure it's like an allergic reaction, but again, it doesn't matter what kind of grass it is. My body's like, nature, what the fuck? <laughs> Ew, outdoors. And it's not a patio? I'm sorry. I'm going to need a chair that rocks. <laughs> oh, God. Don't put Carrie in a chair that rocks. And if she has anxiety, that thing, you know how those kids, they would do like TikToks or whatever. And their kid is like fucking going like George Washington to fucking war. And it's like, "Uh, uh, uh, uh." Carrie will be rocking so fast and hard, like purposeful. I'm like, damn, girl, calm down. I can't help that I'm sensory seeking and I need the (laughs) rocking motion. Also, George Washington going to war. That was someone's comment one time. Okay. It was like, we ride at dawn or something like that. Also, one time, I I don't know if we told this story before, but my dad had um, an electric wheelchair. Yeah, I knew this is where this was going. (laughs) And Carrie was not... Being a bitch. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And so she unplugged it, you know, because it was charging. And she just rode around in a circle in the, like, dining room that we were playing a game. (laughs) I needed some sensory input. Uh, it was like, go do your thing, girl. <laughs> yeah, you're being a bitch. It's a game. Go. <laughs> Made me feel better. <laughs> I'm literally rocking in our, my chair right now. <laughs> and she is a leg shaker. Oh, my God. Again, I can't help it. I'm sensory seeking. Huh, and that leg, that muscle must be real strong. Cause <laughs> I'm like, you're shaking the whole table. You're making my stomach shake. That's why I hate so much that we have a sectional. We got it a couple years ago and like never again will I have a sectional. Like I cannot wait to get rid of this couch. I'm like waiting for the years <laughs> to go by that we can finally buy a new one. Because one, I don't have a rocking chair. I don't know why I thought that would be a good idea. So that, need a rocking chair. And two... It's impossible to clean under. Like, impossible. Except for where fucking Jack's pees and then I flip (laughs) it over. But, like, it comes unhooked all the time. So, like, the one part that comes unhooked all the time, yeah, I can clean under that. But the other half, I mean, I could probably make a whole nother Jack's with the hair that's under there. (laughs) I wonder if you got Jack's, those, uh, like, calming treats where it's, like, CBD. Mm -hmm. If that would help when y'all leave. I don't know. I told Colby when there's something exciting before we leave, like his parents were over, you know, he got like some steak off the table, you know, it was like really exciting. And then we just abruptly leave like that. We got to give him something like a frozen Kong something, you know, whatever. I don't even know. But something to occupy him so he's not panicking. 
I don't know, though, because last time he marked a lot in a row, the last two times he did it, it was because he had a UTI. But, like, he's been off that antibiotic for, like, a, at least a week. I'm like, is he doing it again because his bladder's still messed up? Or is he doing it because, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. it's like me when I have a headache. I'm like, is it because I need caffeine? Is it because I need to eat more? Is it because <laughs> I have too much caffeine? Is it because I need sleep? Is it because uh, I haven't weather? had enough water? Yeah, is there rain coming in? Me and Tiffany went to the casino. Both came out basically losers however there's like this little place called lucky's that we eat at and it has the best hot dogs ever and she can pay with her her players card well because she normally has more points than i do Mm -hmm. uh so she got it well while she was checking out the lady said oh and you have 50 more dollars on this and it ends like the 25th or something you know like something like that and so when tiffany sat down she was like I got money left over and it's about to expire. So like, I got to get something from here to go. When we left, she was like, all right, I'm going to go get some candy. And they had boxes of pecan clusters, turtles Mm -hmm. and stuff. And so she uh, got like two boxes of those and I got her Reese's. And I was like, I mean, you're a winner. Let's just be honest. You're a winner. And it's just so funny. Like she's leaving with a bag of candy from the casino. (laughs) Thank you for all the times you've lost. Here's some candy. (laughs) Man, that was nice of her until it's expired. I'm like, okay, can I get four hot dogs to go? I was like, oh my God. And of course, that's how we are. Like, did we need the candy? No. But if the money's going to expire, you might as well get something. Absolutely. Also, you got two bags of candy and a Reese's for 50 bucks? No, she still had more, but she was like not pressing her luck. You know, like you don't want to have like four boxes of this and then it'd be too much or something and be like, okay, put one back. Yeah, yeah, I would (laughs) have. I'm like, can I get a drink and can I get, okay, what am I at now? Okay, can I add? (laughs) I mean, me too. Let's just be honest. Okay, so last week I told you about the gold leaf lady Mm -hmm. and we had a good laugh. But this week, I'm telling you about another lady. She might be my freaking idol. Her name is Hannah Hovey, but she was nicknamed Hannah Crana. And then later, she was called the Wicked Witch of Monroe. So there isn't a lot known about Hannah's past. We know that she was born in 1783. We then know that she married Captain Joseph Hovey, but we don't know at what age. But I mean, it's back in the day. So you know, she was probably young and he was older. They lived in Monroe, Connecticut. And also I have to add that Monroe is the hometown of Ed and Lorraine Warren and where their museum was when it was open. So Hannah wasn't super likable. And I don't know if it was just because she was different or she wasn't very social. I don't know. But her husband was well known. He was a captain and all that. They also never had children. So I don't know if that's something to do with how the townspeople viewed Hannah. Bastards. Well, one night, Captain Joseph went out on his nightly walk. However, this walk would be his last. Captain Joseph's body was found like off of a cliff and the townspeople were very suspicious of Hannah because never ever could a man have an accident and fall off a cliff, right? Mm -hmm. Not the great captain. And they were like, he walked this path every night. He knew it well. There's no way that he could have had this kind of accident naturally. So they presumed that Hannah had put a spell on Joseph to make him be like in a trance and dizzy. And that's why he took the tumble off the cliff. Because, of course, she's got witchery happening if her husband died. Exactly. You know how we always joke about the husband did it now? Like, that's our thing. Yeah. Back then, it was always the wife's a witch. Yes. 
Now, word on the street was that Captain Joseph was a drinker. So, you know, he could have been a little intoxicated and had an accident, but no, no, no. Everyone believed that Hannah was to blame. And from then on, she wasn't known as Hannah Hovey anymore. They called her Hannah Crana. So it rhymed, so I get that. But it's also like an old Scottish word that means rocky or lofty place. And historians say that they might have called her that because there was this big rock on their property and it kind of looked like a like a cloven hoof. And so they were like, she conspired with the devil. And like, that's a devil stamp on their property. And so Hannah Crana. Meanwhile, though, we're still like that because with the conspiracy theorists and stuff around like the Super Bowl performances and oh, stuff. Oh, that Illuminati. Illuminati symbol and how like all these people are doing it and like Rihanna. Well, Rihanna's how she said it. Anyway, she did it at the end of hers and Beyonce's done it and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So everyone thought of Hannah Crana as a witch who would use witchcraft to get whatever her heart desired. Hannah wore black every day, but at that time, widowers would do, you know. Like, for months yeah. on the end. And meanwhile, if she'd have been wearing purple, they'd be like, oh, her husband just died. She's uh-huh. wearing purple. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Yes. I mean, she never wore color again. However, the townspeople were like, no, this is a different kind of black. It was almost like it was a black cape that would flow in the wind. I hate people. (laughs) Hannah never remarried, which people thought was weird as fuck because, you know, a woman needs a man. And anyone who didn't was a witch. Now, there's a few stories that are used to warn people from crossing Hannah. One's about a neighbor who was the best baker in all the land. She loved to bake. Everyone knew how delish her pies were. I mean, send me one or it didn't happen. (laughs) Well, Hannah was walking by one day, and there were several pies cooling on the window's ledge. Hannah asked for a pie because they smelled good. Now, it should be noted that Hannah lived in poverty when Joseph died. She wasn't, you know, living a life of luxury anymore. And not really that she had it before, but, you know. So the neighbor probably felt bad for Hannah. So she did. She offered her a pie. However, it was the smallest one, and Hannah was like, Nah, girl, I want the biggest pie. And the neighbor was like, oh my God, I'm sorry, but I can't give that one to you, but you can have the one I offered. Well, Hannah Karana used her witchy powers and cast a spell or a curse on that baker neighbor. From that day forward, nothing she ever made tasted as good as it had before. Nothing turned out correctly. You know, the dough didn't rise the right way, all because Hannah wanted the biggest pie and she had refused her and gave her the smallest. Also, you can tell that they lived uh, up north because you could not leave a pie on the place here. There'd be flies all over it. Yes. At my house, lizards. Okay, another thing about Hannah Karina, they said that she could speak to animals. Like, she understood them and they would do her bidding. Well, so she's a Disney princess and you're all jealous. (laughs) So no one really trespassed on her property because it was rumored to be guarded by snakes who were ready to attack any stranger. And it's illegal, but cool. (laughs) Also, if anyone was trying to hunt animals on her land, it's like the animals were immortal. They could not be killed. You know, like you would have it right in your whatever it is, like your... Sights? Yeah. And you'd miss it. I mean, again, illegal, but okay. You can't just go killing animals on somebody else's land. Right. And this would happen, especially with birds. I'm just like, maybe, too, you're not a great shot. 
But one man didn't know that the brook he was fishing on belonged to Hannah. Or he says he didn't know. And so he was fishing for trout. Well, Hannah saw him and she was like, get off my property. And he was like, I'm almost finished here. Like, (gasps) it's fine, you know? And so she cursed him. And after that day, he was never able to catch another fish. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, she's probably just like, going with it at this point and being like, oh, wait, they're scared of me. Okay, what can I do? Okay, I curse you. Yes. Well, another tale has two men who were driving by Hannah's house. They were like neighbors and they were on an ox cart or pulled by oxen, whatever. Feel like the Oregon Trail here. Well, these two fine upstanding citizens, said with very much sarcasm there, stopped on Hannah's property and they were mocking her and saying, like, if you're a real witch, show me your power. Show me what you can do. Impress us, you old hag. That kind of thing. And Hannah didn't stand for this. So she said, before you pass yonder tree, your wish shall be granted. And those men were like, you know, slapping their knee, hollering like, ha ha, yeah, right. Okay, you old hag. But right before they reached the tree, the oxen stopped moving, refused to move another inch. And when the men tried to force him to move, the cart's wheels fell off. And then I just feel like Hannah was up on her porch, like, cackling. Mm-hmm. And I'd just be like, chef's kiss. So there is a neighbor whose cows had gotten into Hannah's garden and messed up some flowers. And she wanted that neighbor to apologize. Well, he didn't. So she was like, I curse you and your crops. And the potatoes he had planted all died. Well, after that, he, of course, apologized to Hannah. And she was like, okay, I forgive you. The next year, he planted corn instead of potatoes. And Hannah saw the farmer and she was like, this year, your crop will be bountiful. Your corn will grow in surplus. And she said, check your garden at 10 p.m. tonight. So he was like, I mean, okay. He did. And he saw the corn just growing and growing and growing. Now, I did find one place that said there were a few locals who pressed charges against Hannah and said that she was practicing witchcraft. But, you know, in the New England area, the Salem witch trials had happened, and now that had become the kind of thing that they wanted to sweep underneath the rug. Mm -hmm. So nothing really came of it, and Hannah never went on trial. And like you said, since the townspeople were so set on her being a witch, Hannah is said to have used that gossip for her own gain. Since she was poor, she would often ask for handouts from her neighbors, like for food or firewood, and if they didn't want to give her anything... She would threaten to curse them and their families, and so then they would, you know, become more generous. I mean, really, it's genius. I know, I know. It reminds me of on Tangled when the stepmom, I mean, who is evil, but she's like, you want me to be the bad guy? Fine. I'm the bad guy. Yeah. Well, there were some people who believed Hannah had special powers, and they asked Hannah for help, and she did give it to them. I thought that's what you were going to say with like that last thing you said Uh where she was like, yeah, okay, uh, since I need money, I'll help you. I'll curse your ex-boyfriend for you. (laughs) That would be good. No, once a farmer had broken his leg in an accident, his family brought him to Hannah and offered her money and food in exchange for healing the farmer, which she did. Also, rumor has it that she healed a child who almost drowned in that nearby brook. And then one summer, there was a really bad drought and the farmers were suffering because of it. And, you know, all the townspeople got together and they're like, look, we need help. And uh, we got someone who might can help us. Right. But like she hates a lot of us because we've been rude as fuck to her. 
So uh, we need someone to draw the short straw and have to go ask her. So one of the farmers bravely asked Hannah for help, and she agreed to help in the drought. She's quoted as saying, By sundown on the morrow, your wish shall be granted. And the next day it rained for the first time in like months, just in time to save the crops. Meanwhile, she had the farmer's almanac and was like, uh, it's going to rain. <laughs> right. In 1859, Hannah's pet rooster, Old Boreas, died. Now, everyone believed Old Boreas was Hannah's familiar, which is basically like an animal guide who helped her with her magic. He is said to have only crowed at midnight and 3 a.m. So, you know, evil. And I just want to say, I've had roosters before, and those fuckers will crow whenever the fuck they want to. I was just about to say, um, okay. Yeah. I'm like, uh uh-uh. Maybe he was a night owl. (laughs) Wrong foul. Oh. Okay. (laughs) But yeah, like, so they would be like, that old hag up there with all her chickens. I'm like, she seems like she lived a great life. Yeah, she wasn't paying for expensive fucking eggs. (laughs) Right? True. But above all, Old Boreas was like her beloved rooster. All the others were chickens and they were cool. But Old Boreas was her old boy blue. Well, Hannah told one of her neighbors that she feared her time was coming to an end since Old Boreas died. Which again, just made them think, "Uh uh-huh, that is her familiar. So she gave instructions that she wanted people to follow for her funeral. And she said that her coffin was to be carried to the grave, not by cart, only by hands. And she wasn't to be buried until sundown. Like, she could not be buried before then. And Hannah passed away, like, the next day. She was in her late 70s. And we honestly don't know when she passed because it was, like, December, January time. So she might have passed in December, but no one saw her until like January, because it was really bad snow and all the things, okay? So they're like, yeah, not carrying the coffin, but we're going to put it on a cart to like basically have it as a sled through the snow. Yeah, it was just too cold, too snowy. We're we're not doing this for old Hannah Crana. Well, she had said like, if y'all don't, my wrath will get you, basically. Mm -hmm. Well, the coffin slid off. And at first they're like, oh, okay, well, whatever. You know, so they picked her back up, put her back on, But alas, it slid off again. So then they said that they put her back on the sled. Some people sat on top of the coffin. Like, we're keeping this motherfucker on the sled. And all of a sudden, it shook so hard and like just vibrated them off. And so they were like, you know what? We'll carry her. And because of all these issues, because they had started before sundown, but because of all of this, it was now after sundown, just like she had wanted. So after the funeral, people witnessed Hannah's house burst into flames. They believed that she had caused the fire to, you know, take all her secrets with her. And so the fire sealed Hannah's fate as being the Wicked Witch of Monroe. But also I want to be like, um, yeah, because y'all were just going to fucking dig through all her shit and take what you wanted and Mm -hmm. all the things. Like, mm mm-hmm. And she didn't have kids or anything to leave it to, so no. Like, y'all treated me like shit. You're not getting any of my shit. Well, today you can see Hannah's headstone at Gregory's Four Corners Burial Ground in Trumbull, Connecticut, which neighbors Monroe. It reads, Hannah Crana, wife of Captain Joseph Hovey. And many people leave her a gift, like change or flowers, because 
It's believed if you do, you'll be granted a wish by Hannah. If you don't, Hannah could curse you or follow you home. Because, you know, she did like to get a gift. She did. Especially pie. (laughs) I mean, again, she's my idol. So some people say that they've seen Hannah by her headstone and they've heard like evil cackling or whispers. And she is said to appear in the middle of the road and will call someone to wreck and hit her headstone. I just want to be like, um, what's your lineage? Like the people who wreck because it's not all the time. So like, oh, true. Was your mom a great baker? (laughs) Right. Was your daddy a potato farmer? But like for real. Yeah. And like more like great, great, great grandfather. You know, I don't know family trees. (laughs) Time is all relative to me. Wait, is that right? Yeah. Well, oh, time is all relative family tree. Uh Man, I am just killing it today. So was she an evil witch? I don't know, because some people really say, like, I witnessed all of this happening. I've, you know, seen this happen with my own eyes. But I really think she probably just didn't like people. She was like, yeah, I'm an independent person. I'm going to live my life how I wanted to. But then you're, like, cowering. And so it's like, oh, you say I'm a witch? (laughs) Find out. Like, try me. Oh, you don't want to try me? Well, give me your pie. But I had never heard of Hannah, and she's, like, well-known in the New England area. She could have just been really smart and able to predict the weather patterns, uh-huh. you know, just been very in tune too to nature or something like that. Or just pure fucking luck. I mean, almost like a placebo effect too mm-hmm. with some of these people. Because again, like we were talking about conspiracy theorists, like if they truly believe it in their head, that's real. Yeah. So if they truly believe that she's a witch that put a curse on their ex-boyfriend, then they're going to be like, see, he had a bad day at work. She did it. Yes. Even though we're in a drought, his crops not doing so well. She did it. Uh Uh-huh. I just love that they could blame their poor skills on Hannah. Like, nothing's ever tasted as good as it used to. I've never caught a fish after she cursed me. Because it's always easier to blame somebody else for your shortcomings. Mm Mm-hmm. 100%. So Hannah was like, blame me all you want, but give me all I want. Or I'm going to curse your ass. I mean, it was really the perfect setup. It really was. (laughs) She didn't have to deal with people, and she got what she wanted. All the pies. Uh Uh-huh. And she just lived with her chickens and... And even that scared them. I know. (laughs) It's like, you probably have chickens on your property too. You're just mean to them. And she just loved hers. So, oh, Hannah was misunderstood. And the people in my story were misunderstood as well. So picture it. January 18th, 1995. We're in the Bronx in New York. Denise Raymond was a 38-year-old executive at FedEx. Sidebar, do you know what FedEx stands for? Federal Express? God damn it, how'd you know that? (laughs) Thought it was common knowledge. No, literally never knew what it meant. (laughs) Like, why federal? I don't know. Like, did it start out only delivering shit for the government? Like, okay, well, I know everything. (laughs) Federal Express? Okay. Well, all I know about is American Express, and I ain't got one. No, I've never been approved for American (laughs) Express. (laughs) Ron, everyone tried. I knew better. Denise had worked at Federal Express for more than a decade. She also took classes at night at Columbia University working on her master's degree. Get it, girl. I know. Very smart. Denise lived in an apartment complex in the Bronx that had security 24 hours. It was a very quiet apartment complex. So when Denise was brutally murdered in January of 1995, her neighbors were shook. How could this have happened? They didn't know if maybe she knew her attacker because, you know, you've seen New York on uh, movies. They got 
all the locks on their doors, right? And Denise was no different, but there was no signs of forced entry. And the crime scene was brutal. Denise had three different sets of handcuffs on her wrists. A sock was stuffed into her mouth, and she basically was hogtied. Three different sets of cuffs? Yeah, why three? Like, what? I, I, I don't know. No. So police at first were like, okay, it's got to be her boyfriend, Charles McKinnon, because like she clearly knew somebody. And what they were saying was that he was involved in drugs. Even though he was married, had two kids, they were like, you know what? He is trying to get her to start shipping drugs through FedEx. They kind of came up with this whole theory pretty quickly. But then there was really no evidence to prove that. So he was her boyfriend, though? At one point, yes. I don't know how, I, I don't know how soon. The, that theory was quickly dismissed. Yeah. Well, because I'm just wondering, like, oh, so he's married and yeah, I don't, things, so. Yeah, I don't know how long ago he was her boyfriend. Yeah. I mean, it could have been last month, for all we know. We, yeah. Really, there's very, very little details. But just blocks from where Denise was murdered, there was a livery cab driver who had also been brutally murdered. His name was Bath Diop. Now, what the fuck is a livery cab driver, you ask? Yeah, that one I don't know. Yeah, I didn't know either. I also had to figure out how to spell it because I was like, livery? Livery? Like, I could not figure it out. Yeah. L-I-V-E-R. Anyway, basically, like, you have, like, a yellow cab that, you know, you just are like, hail it. It comes to you, right? A livery cab driver is, like, what you think of, like, a limo service, a car service. Oh, like, okay. they come at a certain time. Okay. And he was driving what looked like a Lincoln Town car. Okay, okay, okay. Same thing, girl. I was like, what the fuck is that? So, Bath Diop had been shot, from what I can tell, while he was driving. Oh, God. Because, because it was like, the shooting happened, and then the car went, like... 100 feet and then crashed so i don't know if maybe he tried to speed away again the details on this there's not a lot but some things had been stolen from him now police quickly decide that these two cases are related don't really know why maybe because of the vicinity in which they were in but it wasn't long after they decided that these two cases were related well what i'm thinking how they connected it is because of she worked at FedEx and he was a livery cab driver. So maybe they both like basically did like shipments. His was human cargo. Hers was whatever. Maybe. But the two detectives, Donnelly and ILO, were working the cases when they like one was working one, one was working the other. And they put them together and were like, this is on point. But really the linchpin for this case was that Miriam Tavares was an eyewitness. So Miriam said that she saw Bath's murder from her bathroom window. And she said that there were six people involved. Six people? Right. Yep. Six people involved. She said she could hear them talking. She saw the whole thing. And she was the star witness. Kathy Watkins, Carlos Perez... Devon Ayers and Eric Glisson. Again, I know that was only five, but there was a six that was later acquitted. So we're focusing on these five. So here's the thing. So they had them all arrested and some of them didn't even know each other. Like Eric didn't even know Kathy. It wasn't until basically they were like being arraigned. It was something in court where they were like, wait, you're Kathy? And it's like, who are you? It's like, I'm Eric. Like they didn't even know each other. Oh. And literally the only piece of evidence connecting them to the murders was the eyewitness testimony. 
But Carlos, Devon, and Michael were convicted of both murders. Just with eyewitness testimony? Yep. But Kathy and Eric were convicted of Bath's murder only. And the whole time, all of them proclaimed their innocence. They were like, look, we did not do this. I don't know who did, but we had nothing to do this. They were like, I'm at home. I was here. I was wherever. And Eric is kind of more the center of this story, but all of them proclaimed their innocence the whole time. They were writing letters to people, trying through appeals to get their convictions overturned. Every single one of them was doing everything that they could to prove their innocence. When Eric was arrested for the murders, he had a daughter that was one week old. Oh my gosh. Eric did his best while he was in prison. Like I said, exhausted all of his appeals and was really struggling with the fact that he had been convicted of a murder that he's like, I did not do. Well, there was a nun that would visit the prison to help like teach education classes. She would teach them how to speak Chinese. She would help with a theater program. And she met Eric. Her name was Sister Joanna Chan. Now, everybody called her grandma. So I'm gonna call her grandma from here on out. So grandma sees Eric one day and he's sitting by himself and he has like all this food. And she's like, wow, you, you know, must really have people that love you kind of thing, sending you all this stuff. And he's like, yeah, because they know I'm innocent. Which, you know, tell his oldest time, yeah. people in prison, everybody's innocent, right? Insert Shawshank Redemption. That's literally what flashed through my head. So Grandma and Eric really get to know each other through different programs, like he's in the theater program. And he had only gotten through like grammar school when he was out of prison. And so like he finishes GED. He was working towards college courses because he's like, I didn't do this. Like, let me get all the information I can to figure out how to get out of prison. So he was doing all these classes, filling out Freedom of Information Acts left and right to try to get the information from his case. I'm talking years upon years upon years asking for this information that was not being given to him. Wow. So grandma starts to really believe him. She's like, you know, she's seen some shit. You know, she's been working in that prison for decades. And she's like, I mean, I've, I've seen some stuff. And she truly believed that he was innocent. And Eric had moments where he really struggled. There was moments that he contemplated dying by suicide. It was, you know, it was really hard on him. One day, Grandma was like, man, I believe him and I want to help him. But I only know one attorney. Like, she's like, that's all I know. His name was Peter Kraus. Now, the thing is, Peter is... A corporate attorney. He doesn't do criminal law. So he's like, I mean, I don't know, but I trust the sister's opinion. Like, let me see. Let me look into this. And the more he looked into it, the more he got to know Eric, he was like, no, this is bad. This investigation was shit. Yeah. You have one witness that said that she heard the conversation, saw everything happen, and the detectives literally never went to her apartment to look at what's her point of view, like literally the point of view oh, to the street. Wow. So he went and he's like, no, from the bathroom window that she said that she saw this, you literally could not even see where the murder took place. You could kind of see like where the car kind of came to a stop. There's no way she could have heard him talking. There's no way that she would have known anything that she knew. And Eric's like, yeah, we had bad blood. They'd hooked up a couple of times. He ghosted her. Oh, shit. She didn't like him. Yeah. When all of this is happening, the witness, Miriam, had actually passed away of a drug overdose. And this was in 2002. Holy shit, from 1995? Yes, to 2002. God. 
there was no way to interview her to get information. So I do want to just say this right here because um, we just talked about how the fact that the detectives literally didn't go to her house or the apartment to like see. Five months after the arrests, those two detectives were featured in New York Magazine about how awesome they did on these cases. Just let's just put that out there. Wow. They went above and beyond. Mm -hmm. They were real proud of themselves. I mean, what kind of freaking attorneys did these people have, though? Because that's like a follow-up thing of, okay, could you recreate that? I I don't know, honestly. So the other thing that Eric's attorney, Peter, found was that basically Miriam didn't speak English. So when she was talking to police, she had someone translating for her, like one of her friends. Her name was Kathy Gomez. And Kathy also testified at trial. But she did not testify against Eric. But here's the thing. Kathy said that she spoke English and she translated for Miriam, but she could not read or write English well at all. And so police wrote out a statement and had her sign it. So there's like this handwritten statement with her signature that to me doesn't match all the other stuff. And when Peter goes to talk to her, he films it. And this is on an episode of Dateline. It's season um, 24, episode 20. So if you want to go like see all this, there's lots and lots of videos about this story. But anyway, it it was on an episode of Dateline. And she says, yeah, look, they told me, here's something, sign it. And she didn't know how to read it. She definitely didn't write it. And she signed it. She was forced to testify. They threatened to arrest her if she didn't testify. On the flip side, I understand because, I mean, like, if somebody's subpoenaed, like, they have to testify. But on the other hand, they're forcing her to testify on something that she didn't see, that she didn't, she didn't know anything about, and they wanted to close this case, so they forced her to testify. The stuff that was in the statement was stuff that only the killer would know or police would know, like stuff that had been stolen, that kind of thing. Wow, they really wanted to wrap that up in a bow for them. For sure. And, you know, because they wanted to be in the magazine. There's even court documentation that she was so distraught by this that she attempted to die by suicide a couple of times. Because she was like, I don't want to do this. But she was terrified that she was going to go to jail. If yeah. she, like, what were the police going to do to her if she didn't cooperate? Yeah. So while all this is happening, Eric is starting to get some documentation finally from his Freedom of Information Act requests. Because really, Eric and his attorney, Peter, knew that he had burned up all his appeals on this. And so getting this information and combing through it to try to figure out who actually committed the murders was the only way to get him out of prison and all the other people that were convicted with him. So as Eric's getting this information, he finally gets a document that changed everything. They knew that the taxi driver, Bath, they knew that his cell phone had been stolen. Pretty much immediately after he had been murdered, phone calls started being made from that cell phone. The detectives never looked into this. They had this information the whole time and never looked into this. Who was making these calls after he died and to whom were they making these calls? Yeah. So they figured out that the calls that were made right after the murders were to relatives of two well-known gang members in the gang called Sex Money Murder. Sounds like a song. I mean, it literally is the dumbest name on the planet. (laughs) Hmm. 
Like what? Like that's their acronym? <laughs> I'm in the SM gang. So those two gang members were Jose Rodriguez and Gilbert Vega. Now, the whole time that this is going on, there's a detective who's been working to shut down the sex money murder gang. And he had an informant tell him that Jose Rodriguez and Gilbert Vega were bragging about killing a taxi cab driver. So Detective Pete Verselli was the one who was working that case with the sex money murder gang. And he heard that these two gangbangers had been saying that they had committed this murder. So he goes to the detectives because this is a different, like essentially a different precinct that he's working those versus where the murders happen. So when he goes to the precinct and he asks detectives like, hey, do you have a case where this cab driver was killed? And they're like, no, we don't have a case like that. And he went twice. Oh, my gosh. Now, you know, he even says that they could have only looked at open cases. You know, they had closed this case and they had done their magazine thing and everybody moved on. So they could have just been like, no, we don't have an open case like that. But he's important because he had another detective that he worked with named John O'Malley. John O'Malley had also gone to detectives to say, we had this informant saying that these two gangbangers are saying that they did this murder. Do you have one? And they're like, no. Well, when Eric figures out from the phone records that these two gangbangers' relatives were called, he writes a letter to the U.S. attorney being like, I am innocent. Look at this evidence. I didn't do this. I need help. That letter happened to end up on John O'Malley's desk, who was now an investigator for the U.S. attorney. Holy shit. Like, there's so many pieces in this. Like, if it wasn't for the sister, the the nun that they called Grandma, who introduced him to Peter, who I'm sure helped him finally get some of this the yeah. paperwork from the FOIA requests, and then them going through that, and it happened to end up on John O'Malley's desk, and all the things. Like, the next step could not have been done without the previous step. Yeah. When John O'Malley gets this letter, it's like everything comes flooding back to him. And he's like, hold the phone. I know who did this. Like, this guy, he's in prison for a murder he didn't do. Those guys, Jose Rodriguez and Gilbert Vega, did this, not him. So John O'Malley actually does a sworn affidavit to the court to say, Eric didn't do this murder. Like, you need to release him. So that kind of starts the domino effect where... Eric actually gets another day in court. Because of John O'Malley's letter, the Bronx DA is like, okay, we're going to look into this. They decide to vacate his conviction, actually his and Kathy Watkins, because she was the other defendant that was convicted of just Bath's murder. While they vacated it, they let them out on a conditional release. They still had to wear an ankle monitor, which pissed me right the fuck off. Yeah. If you literally have evidence that they didn't do it enough that you're vacating their conviction, they've been in prison 18 years now. Yeah. Let them the fuck out. Like, they don't need to wear an ankle monitor. They're not going anywhere because they didn't do it. They're going to sue your fucking ass. They're not going anywhere. So if you have enough to vacate their conviction and then you start looking into it, that's fucking ridiculous. Basically, prosecutors never said, like, we made a mistake. There was a mistake. You know, they never said that during the court hearing where they were saying that they were going to vacate the conviction. The district attorney was like, we've made a decision to take this unprecedented, as you know, judge, an exceptional step that we're going to consent to conditional vacating. First of all, unprecedented? No, it's not. 
And um, exceptional? No, it's not. Exceptional would have been like, as soon as you fucking found that out, you were like, let's get him the fuck out of there. Right. No, you took months. And then even when you had the information and you went back, you were like, we need another 30 days. So he had to sit in there another like two months after all this was figured out for them to be like, what are we doing now? You know? Yeah. And I know they can't just be like, oh, this is a phone call that shows this guy. Let him out. But like, it was like they didn't know what to do. It was like the district attorney was like, um, we, we need some more time. And yeah. his attorney's like, I got this information last month and I'm ready. Like, what the what the fuck? You know? Right. And he's like, I'm not even in a criminal <laughs> a defense attorney. Like, yeah. give me corporate law and I can figure this fucking out. Like, the DA should be able to. But eventually, all of the defendants were released from prison because they didn't do this. Wow. Even the ones that were convicted of killing Denise Raymond, like, if they didn't do the cab and their connect, like, they didn't, you know what I mean? Yeah. And there's some fuzzy details on this, but eventually they were all released after serving just under two decades in prison. Wow. Eric's daughter is an adult now. Yes. And, you know, a lot of Eric's family believed him the whole time. So he did get to see her while he was in prison. It's been difficult since he got out developing a relationship with her because he thinks that she still kind of resents him some. Yeah. And it's like... Through no fault of his own or her fault. But, I mean, he was gone her entire life, you Mm -hmm. know? While it's a happy ending and they all got out of prison and they all did have a suit. And I've seen different figures, but roughly they all got about $8 million for being wrongfully convicted. We still don't know who killed Denise Raymond. Wow. And her murder is still unsolved to this day. And that is what's heartbreaking. Yeah. I mean, of course, it's heartbreaking that these people spent all this time Mm -hmm. in prison for murders that they didn't commit. But there's also a murder for walking free. Yeah. I want to know how or why Miriam targeted those people. We get Eric because she had bad beef with him. But like all the other people. Yeah. And that's again, that's one of the fuzzy things is it's like, where did these names come from? Like, again, they didn't even all know each other. Like Eric was like, I only knew two of them and they were acquaintances. They weren't friends. Yeah. Where did these names come from? I don't know. Wow. There's a ton that's super fuzzy about that. Yeah. But here's my question. If this happens and somebody's wrongfully convicted like this, do you think that the detectives or the people involved in the case should be held accountable? And if so, in what way? I feel like I'm on Miss America or something like that. (laughs) And if so, in what way? Explain. I hate that. I like a yes or no. Yes, I think they should be held accountable. But how? Like, let's say now it's almost 20 years later. Do they lose their pension? Do they lose their, you know, if they're not, they're retired or whatever, or they're still on the force or mistakes happen. It's people investigating. But yes, I think that they should be held accountable. But I also think that there has to be proof of, a negligent yes. case. Like, yeah. like if they had all the information and they went for the wrong person, I feel like mistakes happen. Of course, it's, yeah. you know, you're fucking with people's lives. But again, I mean, even look at a physician. If they're doing a surgery and somebody dies, they can't be held accountable just if someone dies because they threw a blood clot or, or yeah. whatever. Like, yeah. that's nothing they could have controlled. But if you have like a doctor death situation and they're fucking negligent, then yes, they need to be. And so 100. that's, that's I think that with the detectives and fuck, even the DA's office. And they were convicted. On eyewitness based testimony. Based on what? Yeah. Yeah, that's it. The fact that the detectives didn't even try to say, what could you see from here? I feel like that's what they do in all cases. It's like, could you see this from this vantage point? Yeah. I mean, that's like the old like Perry Mason. Well, were you wearing your glasses? You know what yes, I mean? Like, it's, yes. So that is just, that's baffling. And it's like, I get your job as hard. Like, I mean, I don't get it 
because I, I don't have that job, but I know it's hard. But it's also to serve and protect. Mm-hmm. And also, Miriam, I believe is her name, she wrongfully ID'd these people, and it seemed like it was on purpose. Yeah, I would say so. It would be different if she said, I saw everything. I don't know who it was, but like if she wanted to be involved mm-hmm. in it, you know, you don't have to point to specific people, but she did. And a person from the building like behind where the murder happened called and reported the gunshots and they said that they saw one person running away there were contradictory eyewitnesses period yeah so how do you convict on that well i'm glad they got out and they better be so glad for eric if i were eric i would have been like i want 16 million because i did all the legwork well but he didn't like he did but they were all trying their best too. Like oh, okay. they were they were writing letters and stuff too. He just happened to be the one that had the things. Yeah, he was like the linchpin. I don't really know much about what they're doing now. Eric actually opened a business, like basically a juice bar, with his attorney's assistant. Like they became like brother and sister through oh, this. Wow. And they call it Fresh Take. Oh, I love it. Because he's got a fresh take on life. Yeah. Oh, and he finished his college degree and after he got out and like all the things. So he's living his best life. Good. He deserves that. Well, as we always say, y'all let us know what you think. Do you think that detectives should be held accountable? Do you think that Hannah was really a witch? Or was she an independent woman in a time where women should not have independence? Well, they should. They should, but you know what I mean. Thank y'all so much for listening and supporting us. Don't forget to like, review, subscribe, all the things, and remember, creep it real and and don't don't get scared. scared.